1: Welcome back. Wednesday, April 5th, 2023. I am Seth Leibson. We have David Dahl on controls. We have Bill. Do we have Rusty here, too? See? Rusty's. A couple of lagging or nagging thoughts from throughout the week, if I may. Possible warnings. I quoted the David Mamet play and movie The Verdict last week about how we can sometimes just become lost. From Frank Galvin's or Paul Newman's closing argument in the case, quote, you know, so much of the time we're lost. We say, please, God, tell us what is right. Tell us what's true. There's no justice. The rich win. The poor are powerless. We become tired of hearing people lie. And after a time, we become dead, a little dead. We start thinking of ourselves as victims and we become victims and we become weak. And we doubt ourselves and doubt our institutions and doubt our beliefs, close quote. I would add, and then we just surrender or give up. I was talking to a good friend today about a nation that becomes numb. What I'm describing is preemptive cultural and political surrender. We cannot do it. Oh, you may think it's no big deal that Budweiser, a consummate American beverage, bringing you everything from ads with polka-trudinous men and women to afternoon or evening relief from hard labor and an honest and good job well done to even spuds mckenzie now their emblem the spokesman their totem their ad is a well-known trans woman a man woman who is known for nothing more than how many instagram followers he or she has in a long meeting with president joe biden on trans rights that meeting lasted at least an hour at a time when Joe Biden could still credulously try and convince people he had no time to visit the southern border or, for that matter, East Palestine. By the way, what happened to that story, East Palestine? Or the classified documents? Or the Chinese spy balloons? Anything going on with investigations of Hunter Biden? Anyway, Adam Carolla put it the other day. You can find the historic cultural sign of the times by watching or seeing or looking at famous commercials from a certain era. Spuds McKenzie and other Budweiser ads, among others, defined what the culture was about in the 1980s, for example. Hard work, self-care, healthy recreation, post-hard work, etc. Konstantin Kiesin was watching a Gillette ad from the same era and noted hard work, drive, ambition, family, courage, and above all, winning. I was looking at a 1970 Crocker Bank commercial with a song written by Paul Williams that was later turned into a commercial hit. It opens with a Catholic priest marrying a young couple in a small church as they are off to buy their first house with the song, We've Only Just Begun. And the word promises was emphasized, complete with the ring being placed on the bride's finger. You'd never see an ad like that today, and you could never make an ad like that today. Protests everywhere would take place, as a friend of mine told me. When I first pointed out the trans thing becoming a thing in early 2017, I recall being told to relax. It was nothing. Look how far and fast we've come. Federal guidelines changing the military and deputy secretaries of health. Go back and look at why a dean and most of the students at law school, at the Stanford Law School, could shut down and shut up a federal judge. The very issue, this very issue was over a criminal wanting trans recognition in federal prisons. That's what chased the federal judge out of Stanford Law School. That was the issue of his censorship. And now a once consummate American brand, Budweiser. A lot will not be too bothered by this and don't want to be bothered with this. And a lot will become numb to it, perhaps already have, numbness. It's a problem. But to become inured is exactly how we are to be worn down and from worn down, silenced, and from silenced, acquiescent. And so the loudest voices rising out of and around the Christian school in Nashville being shot up by a transgendered shooter were voices on behalf of the transgender community. And all that was just ho-hum and fine, because we are benumbed and a little dead, Pake David Mamet. This is, however, how you lose a culture and thus a country. You can lose it politically as well. Let's take a look at Chicago today, can we? The runoff election there yesterday just gave the mayor's office to the Democratic Socialist-endorsed candidate, over and against a middle-of-the-road Democrat. And you thought Lori Lightfoot was tossed out because of her politics. Hardly. It was her personality. Chicago, yesterday, just went further left. The Marxist publication The Nation writes... This new mayor could be the city's most transformative mayor as a compliment. Looking at awful crime rates and even worse education outcomes, Chicago has now done what Los Angeles has become and done. This is how you lose a country, too, taking once great cities and turning them into Stalingrad, but without crime. San Francisco should be instructive, but it isn't. The San Francisco Chronicle just did an expose on the problems of that city. Here's a paragraph buried at the bottom of the story. Quote, any strategy that the city of San Francisco undertakes will have to account for fractious politics and two big related concerns, homelessness and public safety. I hear it all the time that people don't feel safe walking around, said Andy Chun, owner of Schroeder's Restaurant and multiple other businesses in the downtown area and a board member of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, which advocates for restaurants' interests. Chun said he frequently sees, quote, drug abuse and people using the street as a toilet, close quote. As John Hinderocker put it, when you go downtown and you don't feel safe and you see people using the street as a toilet, you stop going downtown. There's nothing mysterious about this. Remember when New York City was gleaming? It isn't anymore. Remember when Los Angeles was the dream destination of the rest of the country? It isn't anymore. Remember when Chicago was tugging at your sleeve, the city of broad shoulders? Those shoulders are slumped now. And as for Seattle and Portland, they follow the theology of the day. San Francisco? Speaking of ads, nobody would dare say the words the San Francisco treat today because they wouldn't know how you could put those words in the same sequence. What defines the problem of homelessness and public safety there, by the way? Numbness, as the population of the homeless and the violators of the public safety are all anesthetized. And so now, too, are the voters, but not with narcotics, rather something harder to deal with. Numbness, meaning worn down and deprived of motion or feeling, powerless to feel or act. Why do cities matter? Why do the once great cities matter? You take them, you take the country. As Pericles put it, because of the greatness of our city, the fruits of the whole earth flow in upon us. And what if the city is no longer great, ceases to be great? The fruit, the flowing fruit becomes the opposite. Rotten. I've used the phrase Nostalgia de la boue" here and there for a couple of decades, but never more than the past couple of years. It's been floating around in my head. Loosely translated from the French, it means nostalgia or desire for the mud, the muck, the dirt. It made its appearance in English as a borrowed phrase in Tom Wolfe's great essay from 1970, about attending a Black Panthers fundraiser in Leonard Bernstein's apartment in Manhattan. Radical chic. Tom Wolfe was describing the Bernstein beautiful apartment in Manhattan, well-appointed, expensively tailored, with very wealthy liberals attending a fundraiser for the Black Panthers, a Marxist and violent precursor to what a lot of us saw in the BLM movement in 2020. Wolfe wrote this in that essay, quote, Giddy with nostalgia de la buie, they all entertained a vision of the future in which, after the revolution, there would no longer be any such thing as a two-story, 13-room apartment on Park Avenue with twin grand pianos in the living room for one family, which was Bernstein's apartment. Bernstein's apartment. Fundraising and fawning to destroy themselves and their life is what Tom Wolfe was observing. To destroy themselves and their life. And I was thinking about that and that phrase when I was thinking about how we are seeming to, as the Marines sometimes say, embrace the suck, embrace the failures on so many fronts in America, even when we have the chance to vote, as in Los Angeles, San San Francisco, New York, or Chicago. Look at the crime. Look at the drug-addled homeless. Look at the awful education scores. Look at the work ethic, all things which we've destroyed. Look at the border problem too few care about, attendant as it is with crime, sex, and child trafficking and drugs, and look at the marker of illegal and dangerous drug poisonings. 1979 was by every account the worst year for regular illegal and dangerous drug use in this country. 14.1% of Americans that year were regularly using dangerous and illegal drugs. We couldn't handle it, so we went to work and reduced it by over 65%, down into the 5% levels. It was creeping and creeping up again, and this year we hit 14.3% of Americans identified as regularly using illegal and dangerous drugs. We made this year a new high-water mark, a new high or, as it were, a new low. I said it would make no headlines when that report came out, and it didn't. And, of course, all of this on top of losing over 106,000 Americans to drug poisonings last year, a 1000 percent increase from 30 years ago when our population was one-third smaller. And nobody seems to care about any of this, nor do they seem to care that this past year was the first year we lost academic achievement on a major scale in literacy and math in our elementary and secondary schools, nor does anybody seem to care that for the third year in a row we have seen a reduction in life expectancy in America, something unheard of in advanced and developing nations. Higher drug use, higher drug death, lower academic scores, lower life expectancy. And we're numb. Sound like America to you? Sound like anything great to you? Other than the kind of country we used to send missionaries to? That's what too much of this place has become, the kind of country we used to send missionaries to. And so we elect quasi-Marxists to run the major hubs of our country as a response, or I should say we allow the election of quasi-Marxists to run the major hubs because too few don't care. And we don't speak up and push back and boycott or otherwise as norms are corrupted for little more than appeasing the avant-garde for profit, as Budweiser decided to do and as too many schools keep trying to do with children. And we keep taking away and settling for the taking away of nice things. Anyone who visited the Eastern Bloc or the USSR in the 1970s and 1980s usually tried to smuggle in some of our nice things, radios, jeans, music, Bibles, other goods, because they didn't and couldn't have them in those Eastern Bloc places. We not only could and did, we... Not only could and did smuggle them in, we made them. P.J. O'Rourke witnessed the crashing down of the Berlin Wall in 1989 and wrote this, quote, the privileges of liberty and the sanctity of the individual went out and whipped butt. And the best thing about our victory is the way we did it, not just with ICBMs and Green Berets and Aid to the Contras. Those things were important, but in the end, we beat them with Levi 501 Jeans. Seventy-two years of communist indoctrination and propaganda was drowned out by a three-ounce Sony Walkman. A huge totalitarian system with all its tanks and guns, gulag camps, and secret police has been brought to its knees because nobody wants to wear Bulgarian shoes. They may have had the soldiers and the warheads and the fine-sounding ideology that suckered the college students, but we had all the fun. Now they're lunch and we're number one on the planet. Seems like right now we're just contentedly numbed to not be number one on the planet because of our great cities and great fruits and great culture, but rather number one in things we used to send missionaries to other countries to deal with. And slowly but surely and then rapidly we start thinking of ourselves as victims. And we become victims and we become weak and doubt ourselves and doubt our institutions and doubt our beliefs. That's what they want on the left. And you know it. Please don't preemptively surrender. Ascidia, you know that word? After all, it used to be known as a sin. It means lack of care or concern. And we also used to care about those words, too. Once upon a time, we didn't aspire to be a little dead. We didn't vote for or aspire for sin, either. I remember those days. They weren't that long ago. Heck, just go watch an old Gillette or Budweiser or rice a or Crocker Bank commercial. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Remind me to say something about that song. I love learning history through music. Robin, surprise, he knows how to do some of that. You know that song? Black and White, Rob. Well,
2: it's, yeah, it's from Three Dog Night, if I recall. You're
1: right. That is the Three Dog Night version. It was first recorded by Pete Seeger. It was written in 1954 to celebrate the Brown versus Board of Education decision, and it was written by Alan Arkin's dad. How's that for some history?
2: Well, that's that's actually interesting, I isn't it? Yeah,
1: really interesting.
2: That's, that is now um, just uh, real quick because I know we're short on time. Um, there was a Good Bud commercial a long time ago, and it had three frogs, and they all went Bud. Why?
1: I remember it. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think it was in the same time frame. Yep. And they also did a couple of cute things with Clydesdales, but yep. neither of which. Uh, and we're not. We're not going to have Bud in our house.
1: You know, um, it's the number one beer in America, Bud Light. It's the number one beer well, in
2: America. It, they have
1: been. That's, that's the question. Will it be yeah. next quarter? Yeah, that's yeah. a really interesting question.
2: Yeah, my second thing had to do with this uh, left-wing judge in Wisconsin, Janet Protazowicz, uh-huh. a uh, good Polish name, a uh, good lefty, uh, and of course Hillary had to chime in about voters decisively choosing reproductive freedom and democracy over the alternative. Okay. Well, we all know what reproductive freedom means, and Democrats love to say democracy instead of a republic. Um, So, uh, and I just, I'm I'm at a loss, but I have a feeling that there was a lot of money coming from out of state and a certain uh, organization run by George Soros, who shall remain unnamed. Um, The final thing, and I did see uh, Donald Trump's thing last night, I I think he did a fine job, but I, I worry and maybe caution a lot of people that, think that he may be the only guy who can save us and i don't think any one person can save america i think it's we the people that have to save the country and do all of the things that we've talked about you know running for school boards and running for local office and and just getting in the face and calling the media out when they're lying Uh, well calling all the liars out when they're lying and there's so many of them but i i worry that uh, you know, people are hoping and praying that Donald Trump will win. And if he does, great, uh, because I think he gets it. But I worry, too, that there may be a little bit too much reliance on Donald and only Donald and nobody else. And people need to understand. And how much can
1: be done in four years and who knows what Congress much, looks like, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. And so I, I just it's kind of a cautionary. Don't don't think that one person's going to say, I mean, Jesus saved us, but uh, Donald Trump is not Jesus. Yeah, don't put your faith
1: in men either is another adjunct to everything you're saying. I heard Kellyanne Conway make a pretty good point earlier today uh, about Donald Trump's candidacy, which ran a little contrary to where my head was on it. Uh, You know, our heads are going to change as the news cycles change and as time goes on. But she made an interesting comment. She said... You know, when you listen to him, as he did last night, go through that recitation of uh, of of things he's had to put up with and survive, you know, the the quasi political legal onslaught and investigations. She says, you know, a lot of people hear that and they realize there's not a lot of people who could go through that. And the strength that it takes to go through that and still remain standing the way he is and still oh, yeah. go through that and remain standing as the leader of the party the way he is. What would you call that? Tensile strength, Rob? It's it's yeah. it's a it's its own attractiveness. It's not really been articulated before, but it's its own attract I gotta run, as you said, but go check out the original lyrics of uh, black and white. You'll find it really interesting. It's a hell of a history. Hell of a history. Oh, yeah. All right, brother. That's very cool.
2: Thank All you. All right, thanks. All right,
1: move to Bye-bye. coors. Move to coors. I'm drinking it now. There you go. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) It's 5 o'clock somewhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, great firm, and you can check him out on the line at grandcanyonplanning.com, a good way to reach him as well. He's also the host of his own radio show, heard on this station every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John, how are you, brother?
3: Fantastic,
1: Seth. How about you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Great. You mentioned to me something interesting is all get out you said i'd like <laughs> I to i think s- the
3: way i proposed it too right yeah
1: you said i'd like to talk a little bit about ai and the conflicts it may create for business and the world at large you know it's a it's a funny thing um ai is is now becoming a a, a permeating um uh, shorthand for artificial intelligence and i have a right. feeling that it's developing and moving and being adopted much more quickly than most people can wrap their heads and brains around it. But take it wherever you want, J.D.,
3: and that's kind of where I think I'm going with oh, it. okay, okay. You think about artificial intelligence. We've been using it for quite a while. Mm-hmm. If you do go on the computer and you do a search for, you type in a word and you right. search something, indirectly that's some form of artificial yeah, intelligence. It's yeah, going out there yeah. and it's gathering data and bringing it back to you in a, yeah. in a relatively you know, short period of time. Things that would take you know, months are now taking minutes and so on. And so... Um, this is interesting because we've probably all at least heard of something called Chat GPT. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. which uh, stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformer. Hopefully, that's <laughs> the last time I say <laughs> yeah, that.
1: Like PDF, right? Okay. Right. Go ahead. Okay.
3: So, <laughs> but what does that even mean? Right. right? So, right. well, I mean, this is now the uh, the latest uh, form of what is considered AI, which is uh, something that uh, actually Elon Musk had had something to do uh-huh. with this. Peter Thiel, uh, some of the other big prominent players in this are Microsoft, uh, NVIDIA, uh, Google. Uh, these are the big players in the game. Now, the thought here is when I sent this email to you to talk about conflicts, mm-hmm. the conflicts that what I'm seeing is is that, of course, any corporation or any technology company or any business in general, if there's a new latest and greatest thing they want to be the, the, the ones to bring it to the public, right? Mm-hmm. And they want to be the ones to take advantage of the opportunity that it may create for profit for that company. But the concern out there that we're hearing is is that uh, maybe we're just not quite ready yet uh, for what this uh, AI really can bring to the table. Mm. Uh, and the fear is is that it could be disruptive to individuals as well as the whole uh society at large and i know that's a kind of a big thought but conflict i'm thinking is companies want to be the first to bring it and they're not going to put it on pause which is what's being discussed out there even elon musk mentioned that we should probably you know slow down on this and not be so uh you know all in until we really put some safeguards in place as to what ultimately uh ai can give us
1: you know um the uh the the concern that i'm beginning to have john is whether it's ever a genie that is possibly going to be able to be contained or put back into a bottle right. you you read the wall street journal as i do and you're seeing all kinds of proposals legislative and otherwise but one 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 wonders a little bit if if this genie isn't already out and it's going to have to be on un- ancillary things we think about regulating
3: yeah and that's that's Right and that's probably true, and that's where it's hard to once once this genie's been let out, and all these companies are already you know in process of of investing billions and billions of dollars to uh, build this uh, network of AI out, uh, they want to be the first to bring it to the public and be you know the front runner in it mm-hmm. and want to be able to profit from it and that's that conflict that i 'm mm-hmm. talking about yeah. you know they have the conflict of they want to be profitable, but you know we want to also do this, and we hear about all these companies that want to be. Responsible, right? right, And and in the way they, uh, you know, whether it's economically, socially, or, uh, you know, geopolitically, whatever, they want to be, you know, responsible. Well, I guess what's being talked about now is, okay, let's be responsible with this, and let's take a pause. And the proposal is maybe six months of a pause, Mm -hmm. and that's not going to be enough time for what many fear is the rest of the world, whether it's China or whether it's Russia, who's trying to, again, uh, take advantage of this artificial intelligence as well. But the thought is is that we're a couple years ahead of them in our technology. And, you know, taking a little bit of a pause to understand things and put some safeguards in place wouldn't be a bad idea. I don't know, Seth, this is like so above. Yeah, but we're going to spend
1: some time on this. This is yeah. good, John. I'm glad you g- laid the groundwork for us to be thinking about it in these terms. I'm really glad you
3: did. And if it is the yeah. next form yeah. of you know uh, technology that's going to be uh, you know here to stay, then people are going to want to learn how to invest in it. Remember what happened with Bitcoin, though,
4: mm-hmm, right? Yeah. So we've got to yeah. be careful. Yeah. We're
3: not just going to throw money at just any company out there. Make sure you're doing your research or work with an advisor that can help you out of where to place your dollars.
1: All right, brother. Thank you.
3: All right. Securities and Advisory Services offered the Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, SIPPIC, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Thank you Seth, so much. Bless
1: you, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leapson Show. Well, this is interesting. Robert Kennedy Jr., son of Robert Kennedy, the former senator from New York, presidential candidate and attorney general of the United States, has announced he's running for president in the Democratic primaries to join Marianne Williamson, I suppose, in challenging Joe Biden. That'll be very interesting. Bob and Payson, welcome to the show, sir. How are you?
4: Seth, how are you today? Sir?
1: I'm doing just fine. Thank you.
4: Hey, I listen to Mark Levin a lot. Uh
1: huh. He's he's one of the most brilliant men
4: I, that I hear. He's right up there with you, I believe. Oh, you're okay. very
1: kind. I, Mark is. I've known Mark for many, many years, and uh, he's a hell of a guy. He was uh, he was one of the strong men in the Reagan administration. He was uh, Ed Meese's right hand man.
4: That's correct. But one question I have for well, He's been talking a lot uh, lately about Article Five Convention of the State. Yeah. I don't know a lot about that. I know it is in the Constitution. My question is to you, being a constitutional expert, I believe, like Mark, <laughs> if we hold such a convention, set, can the can the Constitution be opened and the Bill of Rights and things of that nature?
1: I think anything can life? happen. I think it's a huge danger, um, and yes, I know this yeah, is going to. Yeah, this is going to open up a Pandora's box because people have very strong views on this. You know, I have this general view, Bob, and and maybe people think it's too cynical. I don't know. But my general view is um, how, how about winning a game? You know, we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about whether we can go to the Super Bowl. How about how about how about just winning a game? You know, how about winning an election? Um, how about trying to win an election um, before we start rewriting the Constitution? By the way, um I think the strongest and smartest criticisms can be found in, if you're really interested in this, in the essays of Phyllis Schlafly. uh, Do you remember Phyllis Schlafly? uh, Yeah, she she wrote a lot on her opposition to it. You can get it online. I think she had a a very good take on it. But let me ask you a question. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Because I've been part of, when I was in D.C., all these ideas to propose constitutional amendments, never mind opening up the Constitution to a whole new convention. But, you know, there were these constitutional amendments proposed to do X, Y, and Z. I remember one big one was to, uh, I think, define the term marriage, um, which, you know, the merits of which I agree with. But, but does it really solve the problem? Look at how clear the First Amendment is. It's pretty damn clear. The founders were not ungifted with the use of specific language. And the judges have made chop suey of it. It's it's not about what's... I mean, to us, it's about what's in the Constitution. But what we have to do is get judges who interpret it the way it was written. What we have now are judges who pour whatever views they want into otherwise very clear language of the Constitution. So I've, I've thought this notion of am- proposing constitutional amendments or a whole new constitutional convention... Whether it can even be done when we can't even win a presidential election, much less, you know, a governor's race or a Senate race, um, the idea that, that we can do that, it's not, even if we could do it, going to solve the problem of judges uh, and judicial interpretation. They will read anything they want into the Constitution until we are able to elect people who take judicial nominations and appointments seriously. That's my view, Bob. I just, you know, I just I just think, you know, let's win a Let's win a game before we start proposing uh, or dancing, dancing in the in the end zone of the Super Bowl of the field, wherever the Super Bowl is played.
4: And the Stanford students who were protesting the judge here a few yeah. weeks ago, I believe. Yeah. And they're going to be the future judges of this nation, are they not?
1: Yeah, the judges, yes, they will be the clerks and the judges. Uh, that's exactly right. That's who's going to be interpreting it. And, and the, only, the only response I can propose for something like that is one that's already being undertaken by some federal judges who who are beginning to say, well, okay, if that's the school you're going to run, we're not going to hire clerks from Stanford Law School. I think that's a very good way to handle these things. I, I really do. Um, but as again, it's depending on good judges saying that, right?
4: As long as they believe that and they're not just trying to pacify their peers.
1: Yeah. I, I Yeah, they have to abide by it. Yeah, it, 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 it has to. It has to. It has to be abided me, by.
4: May I ask you one quick, other quick question? Yeah, sure. You, you went to law school, is that correct? Yes. I did not. Are they teaching things in law school today that are different than when you attended law school twenty or thirty years no, ago? No,
1: because I went to one of the most left-wing law schools in the country. I think more law schools are aping what I was taught back in the day. Um, let me, let, me, let me explain something about the Constitution. Thanks, Bob. Let me explain something about the Constitution and law schools. In other words, I think it's worse now um, from what I specifically was exposed to when I was there. Uh, I think I was the—yeah, f- I know I was. I was the first founder of the Federalist Society at my law school. It never had a Federalist Society. And when I left, <laughs> it ended. <laughs> it ended. But let me explain something about law schools. Um, If you want to learn about the Constitution, it's the least good place to go. They do not teach the Constitution in law schools. I'll repeat that. They do not teach the Constitution in law schools, not even in constitutional law classes. What they teach, going back to the problem we were talking about, is what judges have said and thought about the Constitution. What they teach is what legal scholars have written and thought about the Constitution. You will not... Here's an interesting test. Ask three, four, five attorneys that you know who aren't conservative. That's an important caveat here, because conservatives do a lot of self-education about the Constitution. But ask the next three to five attorneys you know who aren't conservative who the three authors of the Federalist Papers were. They do not teach the Constitution in law school. They teach what people think about the Constitution in law school. And most of those teachers who teach what people think about the Constitution in law schools come at it from the perspective of, you know, Sonia Sotomayor or uh, Katenji uh, Brown Jackson. That is the dominant viewpoint in the law schools. And not by a little, not by a little. Probably 90% of the law school professors come from that point of view. Um, Probably 50 years ago, it would have been half and half. Best guess. Best guess. If you want to learn the Constitution, you got to do it other ways. We can talk about those other ways, but it's not by going to law school. And that's 80% of the problem. That's 80% of the problem. They, they, they've just never looked at it. They just they don't know what it is. They don't know what it means. They don't know what the debates were. They don't even understand the concept of original intent. And you want to take a country like that and have a constitutional <laughs> convention? <laughs> How about winning a game? I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. How's the economy doing, folks? The bank situation, the stock markets, worries about recession? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the Fed or the stock market? An investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal. if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like. With no surprises, your interest compounded daily, paid monthly, and there are no fees. Talking about a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Talk to my friends at Y ReFi. They're based here locally. I know them well. Great, trustworthy, and honest folks. And you won't get a sales pitch from them. They just like talking about what they do. Y ReFi is a due diligence approved firm and you can earn up to a ten point two five percent rate of return. That's right, a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y, then REFY.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. Mike is in Maricopa. Hello, Mike.
4: Yes, good afternoon, Seth.
0: Good
1: afternoon.
4: i Yeah, got just a, a couple of minutes. I know on your your monologue you were talking about the news items that yes. come and go and yes. how we hear about this. Yes, Yeah. I'll, Some I'll
1: don't even come. Time.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm going to get to. Yeah, I thought the you bio might. labs. It, yeah, the bio labs in the Ukraine. Uh, talking about all this stuff and the things going on with President Trump, we hear all about the non-disclosure agreement. What about the non-disclosure agreement that the news media signed with that uh, teenage uh, high school kid, Nick Sandman, uh, for all the slanderous and liable things that they said? I noticed that they didn't, you know. You know, that's
1: an interesting and, point. I think the news media. Signs NDAs all the time on behalf yep. of a lot of their stars for things far less worthy than what Nick Sandman uh, received from CNN, etc. You know, uh, absolutely. You want to think about what kind of NDAs they had to do for Matt Lauer? My God.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, real quick, I'll compare and contrast with what was going on. I, I,
1: only, have, I idea, only have 30 I- seconds, Mike. You want to call back in a few minutes? Or hold. Do that. Yeah. Or hold. OK, I hold we it. may have we may have a congressman joining us. If not, feel free to hold and we'll pick you up uh, either right away or um, or uh, in a segment or two. Thanks, Mike. I'm delighted to have you. I just wanted to you always bring such good information. I didn't want to I didn't want to cut it short when we only were about to give you 30 seconds there. So we'll be right back. Don't go away. A lot more coming right up